Well, you can open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2. <coughs> Excuse me. In the beginning. In the beginning is not where we are starting today. Last week, Pastor Kyle did an excellent job of sharing the importance of not only just knowing that there's a beginning, but we know the beginning of the story. We know that God was there in the beginning, that he created in the beginning. Did such an excellent job with that, and here I am going against that and starting in the middle. So we're in 2 Peter chapter 2. And he was supposed, Pastor Kyle was supposed to preach this morning, but fell ill near the end of the week. So I get to fill in for him this morning. And uh, this is what he gets, starting in the middle. Now, I know all of you remember in, back in the summer when I started this series in Second Peter chapter 1. Uh, we all remember that, right? No, maybe. Maybe we remember that. But it was so long ago. Uh, but I'm glad that I have the opportunity to continue in with that and share 2 Peter chapter 2. But before we get into chapter 2, just in case there might be one or two of you that don't remember the sermons back in the summertime, that we're going to look back at chapter 1, remind us how we got here to chapter 2. It's all about God's word in 2 Peter, all about God's word. And in chapter 1, verse 3, we find that God's word gives us everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. It's how we know who God is. It's how we know what his will is. Uh, the Bible is more than just an instruction manual for believers. The Bible is life for us. It helps us to know Christ, to know the gospel. And we see how the word of God impacts us, our lives. It talks about our character there and in verses 5 through 8 and these qualities that need to be about us. We find them all out in God's word. It is our chief source uh, that God uses to correct us and train us in righteousness. And then over in verses 16 through 21, we find out how God's word is exalted and how it's a word that is more fully confirmed. And Peter's saying, I was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember that? It's like he was there. He saw Jesus glorified, shining like the sun. And he says, but we have this word of God more fully confirmed. Better that we have this. And we have this uh, understanding and of this word being more confirmed. And we, yet yeah, we can still be tempted to think, right, if I can just hear from God. If I could, God could just audibly tell me when this COVID thing will be done. If I could just have a vision or some type of sign or some type of dream that would just tell me things about God, then I'll believe it. Well, God has spoken in his word. He has given us a clear vision of what his will is for our lives right here. And it's right in the word of God, more fully confirmed. This leads us to chapter 2 as we continue to look at the truth and sufficiency of Scripture, he then talks about those who are spreading lies, those who are teaching this false word. And we're going to find the enslavement that comes in that false word. Lies are of another level, aren't they? I don't know if you at home have a uh, a separate set of rules for lies. But you have the rules, you know, don't play ball in the house, don't push your sister, 
But if you lie about it, then you're really in trouble. Any of you have that in home? Raise your hand. Okay, I see that hand. I see, oh, you don't have that in your home? Okay, so I... So we, a lot of us have that, right? A lot of us have that saying, okay, you break a window, that's bad, don't do that. But if you lie to me about how that window got broken, ooh, man, there is trouble that is coming down. But we have this high standard of lying. It's like it's on another level of punishment if you lie to me. And why is that? Why are lies just... So seemingly so much bigger than maybe some of those other bad things, those sins that we can do. Because lies breeds distrust. It erodes that relationship. You can fix a window, but when someone lies to you about it, it might seem hard to say, how do we fix this relationship? Now that I don't think I can trust you anymore. Lies are just so bad, and really, it's because it goes against God. He is truth. And God's word is truth. And in chapter 1, we see this word exalted, that it's everything we need. And then in chapter 2, he sees that there are people that are making falsehoods out of the word. Saying it's not true. It's not real. And we're going to see how bad it is. Not just for those who are teaching these false things, these false gospels but even for those who are willingly accepting those. So let's go ahead and read in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we work through this passage. God, help us this morning. Lord, we need your understanding. We need your wisdom as we think through these these false gospels that are really all around us. And even as we think about, are there any false gospels here in our church rising from among the people? Lord, protect us. Protect us from false gospels, from false teachings. Help us to draw close and hold fast to your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So when the false teachers came into the church, they didn't come in from the outside just saying, hey, I'm going to come in and tell you all the things that you don't believe. And you should listen to me and follow me. It says that these false teachers arose from among the people. And that's probably one of the scariest parts about this whole passage. Is that there were people in the church who had heard the truth and know the true gospel. That are now rising up and saying that is wrong. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That is wrong. And this is very difficult for us to understand because we... We want to say we have gospel preaching that is true and accurate. And to think that we would assume that somebody might be in our church that would rise up and believe something different. It's kind of scary to think about that, isn't it? But these false teachers, they heard the truth and they understood the truth. And they would agree with a lot of it. They would say, yeah, we know Jesus was a real person. I mean, they lived in the times of Jesus. 
They know he's a real person. They, they, he taught on really good things, right, of loving your neighbor, right, even loving your enemy. They'd be like, yeah, sure, that's, that's great, do that. Like, that he died on the cross. I mean, thousands saw Thousands saw his miracles. Like, sure, yeah, I believe that. But then when it got to Jesus' resurrection, that's when they said, no, I, I don't think so. I don't think that really happened. Totally undercutting the entirety of the gospel, not believing that the resurrection really happened. But is it really that important to get the resurrection right? Teens watching at home, is the resurrection important? Is there maybe a famous chapter in the Bible that we've talked about not too long ago? What is that famous chapter? Let me hear it, because you guys know it already. That's right, 1 Corinthians 15, I heard you. Thank you for being so loud. It is important. You have to have the full gospel. You have to have Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Because if you don't have that, in verse 2, it says, the way of truth will be blasphemed. It will bring people away from the true gospel if you don't have all of those gospel components. And these false teachers, you might think, we'd be able to identify and kick them out really easily. But these false teachers are coming in very secretively. They secretly bring in destructive heresies. Maybe they weren't up front broadcasting it. Maybe they weren't a Sunday school teacher. or Maybe they weren't the pastor preaching. But they might have been somebody in the church just whispering to others, like, you don't really believe this, do you? This can't be true. This isn't right. You should follow me. Because in verse 3, it says, and in their greed... They try to exploit them with the false words. And that term, false words, is actually the Greek word called plastos. It's where we get our word plastic from. These false words, it gives the idea that they're shiny. They look nice and clean. That They look like they're attractive, that people would be drawn to it. So it's not that they're saying things that are just so crazy. No Christian would ever follow it. Nobody in the church would ever think to, to go after that. No, they, they make it sound so good and so right. And they, they probably get it so close to the truth, just like Satan often does. He gets a lot of the things right, but then twists one area, twists one section that brings death. These plastic words are shiny on the outside, but underneath there's emptiness that we're going to see. It's rotting away, things that will bring destruction. And where are these false teachers today? One might say they might be in your house right now. I remember the first Sunday that we were online only, uh, way back, what was that, February or March? A long time ago. And we're our first online service, we pre-recorded everything. So I was at home watching with the family. And we were watching as soon as our service ended, ended, it recommended that I watch Joel Osteen's church. And I was like, no, I don't want to see that. That's, that's, he's a heretic. No, he's not, doesn't preach the accurate gospel of Jesus Christ. I was like, what is happening? Believe it or not, I don't know if you guys knew this at home, but YouTube might not always share with you all the biblically gospel-accurate churches that are all around. They might recommend something that is not preaching the real, true gospel of Jesus Christ. So be on guard. 
It might be in your home as soon as this service ends. They might recommend that you watch something that is a false gospel. So it might be in our homes. It's easy to think that, you know, we've been on for such a long time and maybe you look at the size of their crowd and they, they just look polished, they sound good, they have clever, pithy sayings. But you, are you understanding what the true gospel is? Understand what the true gospel is. God prizes the truth. He prizes the truth. And there might even be false teachers, it's possible, within our church. Again, they might not be the ones who are up front, but they might be the ones who are coming in among the people and trying to lead people astray from the truth. If it happened back then, it's, it's possible that it could happen now. So we must be on guard. We must guard the truth. We must hold fast to the truth. That means we need to know what the truth is if we're going to be able to spot those who are teaching false gospels. We need to know what the truth is so that when we hear it, we automatically, it's like, no, that's not right. We must prize the truth as well. As God holds this truth so highly, we must also hold the truth highly. God's word must be in our hearts so that we might not sin against him. Secondly, we see that God deals justly. If you think that maybe we're taking this a little too far, false gospels, okay, it's really really that bad. We're going to see how um, devastated people are who not only preach these false gospels, but those who believe it as well. We need to be on guard. In verses 4 through 6, we're going to see how God deals justly with them. God holds truth to such a high level, and he holds his own word to such a high standard that any deviation from that will be met with destruction. It'll be met with justice. This is why it's always a fearful task to come before you to preach the word of God. There are always nerves. Because the bar is set so high for judgment for those who are teachers of the word of God. James 3.1, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Hebrews 13.17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And he's saying giving an account Uh, Not just to the people that they are teaching, but they're going to give an account to God. We, as pastors, as teachers of the word, are giving an account to God. Which is, which is just definitely awe. It puts you in awe. It puts you, has this level of fear that's attached to it, making sure that we get the word right that we are teaching the true and accurate gospel because the weightiness of it, we are answering to God for it. God holds his truth to a high level. God does not and will not spare evil. And we're going to be given three examples of God dealing with some of the most vile instances of evil that we see in Scripture. Let's look at verse 4. This is how he is going to be dealing with these people. He says, For if God did not spare the angels, you have these false prophets, 
is God going to deal with them? And he says, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned and cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought the flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. First, we're introduced to the angels who had sinned. This first sin that was committed and uh, when the, Satan and the angels fell. This is one of those situations that's hard for us to understand because we know it must have happened sometime after creation because God created the angels. They weren't always in existence. They are created beings. But also it had to happen before Adam and Eve sinned. So when did that happen? How did that all take place? There's some things that we don't exactly know. We're not going to fully understand that. But we do know from Ezekiel chapter 28 that some of the things that Satan was thinking, some things that God did. It says, you were anointed, cherub, 13 through 19. I placed you, you were on the holy mountain of God. and In the midst of the stones of fire you walked, him speaking of Satan. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. How is that possible? He didn't have a sin nature, so how was unrighteousness found in him? In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God. Going on, he says, your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. And in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15, he talks about what Satan thought. He says, you, Satan, said in your heart... I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Then God says, but you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. If God didn't spare the angels, what do you think he's going to do to those who teach and preach a different gospel? to those who lead other people astray and to blaspheme the way of truth. He's saying, if God didn't spare the angels, and look what they are going to get. Think about what Satan is going to get in the end. The absolute worst of it. Secondly, we have the example, that of the flood. And Lord willing, we're going to be talking about the Noah and the flood, so we're not going to dive deep into that today. So hopefully we'll get to that maybe in a few weeks. But understanding that God looked around at the entire earth, he saw the wickedness, the sin that was just everywhere. And he said, I am going to destroy the entire earth. If God didn't spare the earth, destroy them all, what's he going to do to those who are preaching a false gospel? What's he going to do to those false teachers? And the third example was that of Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, we don't even like to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah just because of how evil and wicked of city that it was and just the, makes our skin crawl just thinking about what was going on in that city. Wickedness, destroyed, brought down to ashes with fire and brimstone. Never to be resurrected again 
He says, if God didn't spare any of them, what's he going to do? He's relating that to what he's going to do to false prophets, the false teachers, the false people who are leading those astray to a false gospel. We see in these three cases total destruction. God is saying that destruction is going to come upon them just as it came to Satan, the wickedness on the earth, Noah's day, and Sodom and Gomorrah. But we don't just see destruction. It's amazing how even in this, talking about destruction and the evils of false teachers and false gospels, the evils of all of that, yet we still see some mercy of God. This is amazing. We still see mercy of God. There's still two-thirds of the angels. They're still worshiping God and fulfilling his will. Could God have destroyed them all? Sure. But even two-thirds of the angels are still there. Showed mercy. He also showed mercy to Noah and his family. Isn't that amazing? Even though he righteously ruled against the earth, flooding it all, but yet God spared Noah. Noah described as a herald of righteousness. Now, was Noah perfect without sin? No. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know he wasn't perfect, but his faith in God was credited to him as righteousness. So as God looked down, he saw the faith of Noah and said, truly you stand alone. Truly you are different than everyone else. And so I am going to, in my mercy, save you. And he not only saves him and his wife, but his family, his entire family, the sweet, again, mercy of God. Not only do we see God judging justly and rightly ruling against the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah, but we see God sparing Lot. Now here it even describes him as righteous Lot. Verse 7. When you read the account back in Genesis, do you, would you consider Lot as a righteous person? I don't know if we would have, right? We would have looked at him and we would have said, man, you offered your daughters up to the mob to do with what they wanted to help protect the strangers that were coming into your house and you're willing to give up your daughters. Like, that doesn't sound like a very great dad at all. And we remember when Abraham was asking God to spare the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and he was praying and saying, if there's only 10, Lord, if there's only 10 righteous people, him, Abraham probably thinking, well, Lot and his wife, and he probably had few, quite a few kids. Maybe his, his family would at least have been 10. Remember, they grew in great numbers. That's why Lot and Abraham, their family split, because there were so many of them. It's like maybe at least Lot's family, you know, might be righteous enough that God would spare Sodom and Gomorrah. And yet God didn't find that many. And yet Lot, saying that he was righteous, God spares him because Lot was greatly distressed, it says, by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Isn't that amazing that even Lot, or we don't maybe see that in the Old Testament narrative, see like, wow, he really did go against everyone else that was around God spared him. God had great mercy to spare him from that city. 
And then in verse 9a, I love this verse. It's like a, a little nugget, especially for us today, of truth that we can really cling to and hold on to. Look at the first part of verse 9a with me. It says, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Isn't that reassuring for you? Isn't that an encouragement that God knows how to rescue the godly from trials? Sometimes it feels like we've been in this trial for forever, that we're not going to be rescued from it. But he does. God knows. God knows not only how to rescue the godly, but in the second part of verse 9, we also see that God knows how to punish sin. How to justly and rightly condemn and destroy sin. And that's why we are thankful for Jesus Christ who took that penalty for us. That God righteously judged sin and poured out his full wrath onto Jesus who didn't deserve it. But he did it for us so that our sins can be taken care of. What a wonderful gospel that is. Why would anybody want to deviate from that? But yet we're going to see the types of people who would want to distract from what the true gospel is to bring them to their side because of their greed. God graciously warns. God graciously warns us. He warns us in not just identifying who these types of people are, what's going on in their hearts that would draw them to lead people to a false gospel, but he also helps us to see uh, and really be challenged with our own heart, to say, don't give in to that. Don't be persuaded by that. Hold fast to the true gospel. First, we see in verse 12a, he says, they will be caught. Again, that's an encouragement for us who are preaching the true gospel, thinking that, man, these churches out there have thousands and thousands of people they're just getting away with it but he says that like irrational animals creatures of instinct they're born to be caught and destroyed they will be caught we don't need to worry it's not up up to us to judge and condemn god will catch them they will be destroyed for leading people away to a false gospel. These people are also ignorant. They, they don't understand the truth. It says which they are blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant will also be destroyed in their destruction. So they will be destroyed in their ignorance. And a lot of them, they sound really smart. Remember those plastic words? It sounds really good. Or like, man, that might be right. It's possible. But they are truly ignorant because they don't understand the gospel. And clearly, they are ignorant of this passage. Understanding what destruction is coming for them for leading people away from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. In verses 13 and 14, we see that these false teachers were not just getting the gospel wrong, but they were intentionally leading people astray and giving themselves over to all sorts of evil. Look at verses 13 and 14. It says, They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have their eyes full of adultery 
insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady, unsteady souls. And they have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. So it's not just that they're preaching a false gospel, but that is what is leading them to so many other sins in their greed. And that's what we find in our own hearts, that usually when we sin in one area, there's about five other layers deep of other sins that we are committing. It's not just that one outward act. There's so much more going on in our hearts. And that's what we see here. People who are leading others astray, they're leading, it says, the ignorant astray. They're doing that because they're saying, hey, let's live in this sin. It's great and wonderful. It's not a big deal. Just come with me. Feast with me. Join me in all of this. They're just doing it to gain followers. They're doing it to gain notoriety because of their pride. We need not diminish the sin. There's so many more things that go with it. They're after power. Look at verses 15 and 16. They forsake the right way and they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. Just gaining for themselves. And he says, but he was rebuked. Remember this story from the Old Testament? By his own, for his own transgression, a speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Isn't that amazing that nothing was getting through to him and so God's like, well, I'll just make this donkey speak and maybe he'll listen to the donkey. But even the donkey corrected Balaam because he was about to go mad, being warned, warned by even those who are lowly, such as the donkey. When people bring to you the word of God to correct you, it doesn't matter whether it's the pastor whether it's the deacon, or whether it's your friend, or, or whether it's your child, if they are bringing truth from the word of God to bring correction, that we would do well to listen and to humble ourselves before that. Don't be so hungry for power that you're not willing to listen to the word of God. And these false teachings, one, these false teachings are empty. Look at verse 17 and 18. Waterless springs... Mist driven by a storm. The gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For they speaking loud boasts of folly. They entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. Waterless springs. They, they sound and they're, and they're promoted as, come with me, listen to me, follow me. Then you'll be happy. Then you'll have everything you want. Then you will have prosperity and wealth. If you just listen to me, then, then God will bless you. It's just all about me. It's fine emptiness. There's plastic words underneath that's just rotting away. And you'll find emptiness. You'll find yourself wanting because you're being led away, led away, excuse me, from the bread of life. <coughs> False teaching is deceiving. Excuse me. False teaching is deceiving. Look at verse 19. They promise freedom. They themselves are slaves of corruption. They themselves are slaves of corruption for whatever overcomes a person so that he is enslaved. These false, these false words are enslaving. They enslave you. They take you captive. 
They promise you this wealth. They promise you this prosperity. They promise you that your life will finally be fulfilled. And then it leaves you with nothing. But you find yourself just enslaved to it that you have to keep giving in to find that worth, to find that value. But you keep finding nothing. Third false teaching is blasphemy. Verse 20 and 21, it goes against Jesus as the Savior. Saying you can be the Savior, Savior, you can find it anywhere you want. But no, there is only one way of salvation. There's only one way of truth. And that is through Jesus Christ alone. And so they say, yeah, you can believe partially in him, but also you need some good works. Also, you need to follow me and do whatever I say. But if you miss any part of this gospel, if Jesus never died, then you are still going to be dead in your sin. If Jesus never rose from the dead, how will you have victory to have eternal life? You have to have all the gospel components in order to be saved. And he then closes as we're going to close with these last two verses. God is showing the extent of the foolishness of the person who promotes and teaches these lies. God's saying that it would be better if they never knew anything about Jesus than to know the truth. Growing up in this church from among the people and abandoning it. The more that we know about God and his word, the more accountable we will be to it. These false teachers are showing with their words and actions that they are fools. Let's look down in verse 21. Verse 20. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness, then after knowing it, to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to the wallow of in the mire. These false teachers who have grown up in the church They have heard the truth. And many of you might be thinking, I have heard the truth over and over again. For those who have heard it and heard it, and you know the gospel, you know what the word of God says, you know the truth, and you turn away and say, I'm going to try to find salvation somewhere else. I'm going to go back to my old way of living. I know what the Bible says. I know the truth. I know the God. I've heard it all before. You don't have to tell me again. I know what it is. I'm going to go and I'm going to live my life. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to live for me. God says here, it's like a dog returning to his vomit. Rejecting the gospel. Knowing what it looks like to be clean. Knowing what it looks like to have salvation. He's like, nah, I don't want it. I'm going to try to find salvation anywhere else. Those are some harsh words. None of us want that set of us, do we? We don't want to be talked about as a dog going to its own vomit. We don't want that. We don't desire that. But some of you might be thinking, what does this mean for me? Are you the one who has heard the gospel many times 
and has still not accepted it. Is that you? You've heard that Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, can bring you eternal life through faith in him. You've heard that he is the resurrection and the life. You've heard that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. You've heard these things before, and you continue to reject. Continue to say, I want to live my life. I want to do things for me. I don't want to be um, subject to this God. I want to do things the way I want to do it. I hope this chapter is a warning to you. The destruction that is going to come if you reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you that right now, even in your own home, you can turn to him. You can ask God for forgiveness. You can say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. I, I want to put my faith and trust in Christ. You can do that. And I want to encourage you, if you've thought about that, even if you have questions, you can, come, you can call me, call the church office here. We would love to talk to you about how you can go from these met people who are being destroyed, uh, the ones who are destined for destruction, and then you can turn and you can experience the sweet mercy of God like Noah did and like Lot did. You can experience that mercy it's a, a wonderful thing to know Christ. So would you turn to him today? Some of you already believe that gospel. You know it well. And you say, I don't think I'm in danger of being a false teacher. And I think I'm pretty good at being able to spot one. I'm not going to be persuaded to, to follow a false teacher. But I challenge you these things. I challenge you first to keep your guard up. I'm sure you know of people, and I, I know people personally, who grew up with, grew up knowing the truth. Friends of mine served alongside with for the gospel, and now don't want to have anything to do with God. They rejected him. I'm sure you know somebody like that. And it gets you to think, okay, how did that happen to them? It causes you to think, could that happen to me? So keep your guard up. Put on that full armor of God every day. Going to battle against the spiritual forces of darkness. Keep your guard up. Second thing is to consistently be in the word. If you're going to be able to spot the false gospels, if you're going to be able to even look in your own heart and see those ways that you might be pulled away to maybe believe, like that sounds kind of good, it sounds kind of nice. Only the truth of the word of God is going to be that stand that you're going to be able to take and say, no, because I know God's word and I know what it says. I believe it and I live it. And I'm not going to be persuaded by false teaching. You have to constantly be in the word. All the time, as much as you can, know the word of God and live it. And thirdly, you're going to need to humble yourself before God. Ask him to show your sin. Draw close to him and say, Lord, help me, to, help me to be close to you and love you more than I love myself, than I want power, more than I want to lead others astray. Help me to be close to you. This word of God is more fully confirmed. It has everything you need for life and godliness. It, it teaches you all the things that you need to know about how to live a life pleasing to God. And the truth matters. The truth matters. 
if you're going to be able to spot these false teachers, if you're going to be one who doesn't give in to it and start living that life, going back to the vomit, going back to the mud, then you need to be in the word and you need to know the word and treasure the word, prize the truth, be solid in it so that you're not going to be tempted by the smooth talkers. You're not going to be tempted by the pithy, but ungodly sayings that are on Facebook that seem to go all around. It might sound good. It might look really spiritual. Know the word. Know the truth. So how well do you know it? Could you spot a false teacher? I love this from John chapter 8. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Destruction and enslavement awaits for the one who brings false teaching. Freedom and life awaits the one who abides in the truth. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for giving us the truth, this word that's more fully confirmed. Thank you for this church that prizes the truth, that prizes the teaching of the word of God, that opens the word up for all to see, and that even allows for conversation to happen, to owe everything to be tested against the word of God. Thank you so much that we are in a church like that. Lord, help us guard our hearts. Help us not give in to our own sinful desires, maybe a desire for power, a desire for ease, a desire to just uh, be done with whatever you have for us and say, we want our own thing. Lord, give us a desire for your word. Help us to hold fast to the truth. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.